Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. A.W. Tozer has written, It is doubtful that God can use any person greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Search through the pages of Scripture and you'll discover that the men and women who were most used by God were those who went through the severest tests in life. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. In the rare moments when everything in life seems to be going well, sometimes God will send a storm to test our resolve. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress talks about one of the most defining moments in Abraham's life when God commanded him to sacrifice his only son. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. During today's program, I'm going to recreate one of the most dramatic scenes in the Bible. It's when God asked his servant Abraham to do the unthinkable. His directive to Abraham was to offer up the most treasured possession of all. Well, you likely know the story. It's one of the most iconic images in Scripture when Abraham laid Isaac on the altar. A shocking image, to say the least. Today, I want to show you what this ancient moment in history means to those of us who follow God in 2023. This ultimate test of Abraham's faith has far-reaching implications for you and me today. I cover this topic in my brand new book as well. It's titled, Walking by Faith, A Study of the Life of Abraham. Despite many failures, Abraham was still called the friend of God. It's a moniker we would all aspire to, right? And in my book, Walking by Faith, I'll show you how Abraham stayed the course and obeyed God, even when the culture was pushing against God. I'm going to say more about my book later in the program, and David will describe several other resources available to you, including the complete set of unedited CD and DVD recordings of this brand new teaching series, Walking by Faith. But right now, let's open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. I titled today's message, Our Greatest Test. Today, we're going to look at Abraham's defining moment. It was the greatest test that he ever experienced. And it reveals to us how to respond when those tests, not if, but when they come into our lives. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 22 as we look at Abraham's greatest test. Here comes the test. Look at verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and Abraham said, here am I. And God said, Abraham, take now your son, your only son. Well, God, I've got two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. No, the son whom you love, Isaac, the son through whom the promise would come and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. Sacrifice Isaac? Wasn't Isaac the child of promise? Wasn't he the one through whom the whole Israelite nation would be born? Why would God do such a thing? Notice that God never explains. He simply commands Abraham to destroy that one person who was most important to him. You know, 
think about what it would be to offer your child as a burnt sacrifice. You kill the child and then set their body on fire on an altar. Think about that. How did Abraham respond to such a thing? If I had received such a command, I would question whether or not it was the voice of God I'd really heard. And if it was the voice of God I'd heard, I would be outraged that God would ask me to do such a heinous thing. Not Abraham. He had heard the voice of God too often to mistake it for anything else. And furthermore, he realized it was within God's right to ask for such a sacrifice. You see, Abraham lived in the Mesopotamian Valley. And no doubt many times, if not every day, as he walked through the valley, he saw these Canaanites offering their firstborn child as a burnt offering to appease their angry imaginary gods. I have no doubt that when Abraham witnessed those things, he heard the cries of the children, saw them being consumed in fire, he thanked God that he had never been asked to make such a sacrifice. But it was no surprise when God did come and say, now Abraham, I'm ready for you to offer your son. How did he respond? Look at verse three. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. Notice how Abraham obeyed God immediately. He got up in the early morning the next day. He didn't linger. He obeyed God immediately. Just like the time when God told Abraham to circumcise himself and his servants, he obeyed God immediately. That was the heart of Abraham. They started rising to go to that place that God would show them for the sacrifice. The journey to Moriah, that mountain region where the mountain was that Abraham would sacrifice Isaac on, it was about 50 miles away from where Abraham was. It was a three-day journey by foot. I just pictured the scene of Abraham and his son Isaac, who's now a young, strong teenager carrying the wood on his back. I can just imagine the scene as they walk together and Isaac tries to engage his dad in conversation, but for some strange reason, his dad doesn't want to talk. Isaac doesn't understand. And Abraham, he's trying to pray for strength to take every next step as he gets closer and closer to that mountain of sacrifice. Finally, after three days, they come to that place. Verse five said, and Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and we will return to you. Here you see something of the remarkable faith of Abraham. He believed that he and Isaac were going to go. He was going to sacrifice Isaac. And somehow he and Isaac both would return. How would that be possible if Isaac were dead? How would he return with Abraham? The writer of Hebrews gives us some insight into Abraham's thinking Look at Hebrews 11, verses 17 to 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, in Isaac, your descendants shall be called. For Abraham considered that God is able 
to raise people even from the dead from which he also received him back as a type. Underline that word, considered. Abraham considered that God is able. That word considered literally means calculated. He calculated. And the reason for obeying God was greater than the reason for disobeying God. And so he said, you know what? I'm going to do what God says. And if I kill Isaac, God will bring him back from the dead. Now, here's why that is fascinating. Nobody had ever been brought back from the dead before. There had never been one resurrection in the Bible yet. He knew nothing about life after death. And yet by faith, he believed that God was able even to bring his son back to life again. Now that's what you call faith. Abraham believed God. Look at verse six. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so the two of them walked on together. And Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, here am I, my son, Abraham said. And he said, Isaac said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Can you imagine how that question impacted Abraham? What did Abraham say? Verse 8, God will provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walk on together. Verse 9 says, then they came to the place which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son, Isaac, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. F.B. Meyer says, at this point, God draws a curtain around Abraham and Isaac. We don't hear the most intimate conversation as Abraham explains to his son what God had commanded as Isaac willingly submits to the will of his father and places himself on that altar. As we read this, we become aware that something else is going on here. This is a great foreshadowing of something that would happen in that exact mountain 2,000 years later. As another son, the son of God, walked toward that place of sacrifice with wood on his back, a wooden cross. As even though he could have struggled and resisted his father, just as Isaac could have resisted Abraham, this son didn't resist. Philippians 2 says the son of God emptied himself and was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It would be at this very same mountain region that Jesus Christ would one day offer himself as the sacrifice for our sins. You know that spot where Abraham built the altar to altar, offer Isaac as a sacrifice is on Mount Moriah. It's the place where right now there's a Muslim mosque, but one day another temple will be rebuilt. And I remember standing there the first time, and I contemplated what was going through Abraham's mind and heart as he considered what he was about to do. And you know, I had to ask myself the honest question. If God commanded me to take a knife and plunge it into the heart of one of my children and offer them as a burnt sacrifice, would I do such a thing? 
to be honest with you. I don't think I could. Before you judge me too harshly, could you do it? Honestly? Would you do it? Chuck Swindoll provides some great insight on this passage. He says, at the moment Abraham lifted that knife in the air, all activity in heaven must have ceased as the angels looked down with absolute amazement that a mortal man would love his God so much that he was willing to make that kind of sacrifice. And immediately, verse 11, the angel of the Lord, the Lord himself, called to Abraham from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. Abraham said, here am I. God said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. What's the result of that test? Well, first of all, God himself provided the sacrifice. Look at verse 13. Then Abraham raised his eyes and he looked and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide God was teaching not just Abraham, but all succeeding generations the most important truth we can ever understand. We cannot make an adequate sacrifice for our sins. God has to provide the sacrifice. Remember the words of Hebrews 10 and 4, for it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away our sins. All those Old Testament sacrifices, they were simply a picture of God's sacrifice. The Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. God must provide the sacrifice, and God has provided the sacrifice. The second result of this faithfulness was God renews his covenant with Abraham. Look at verse 16. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, Indeed, I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of heaven and the sand which is on the seashore. God promised, I'm going to do what I promised to do. And finally, as a result of this obedience, God calls Abraham his friend. This is the point in which God begins to refer to Abraham from that point through all generations as his friend Abraham. Now, I want to show you something very interesting. Hold your place here and turn over to James chapter 2. James' commentary on what this obedience meant. James says in verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of his work, Faith was perfected, and the scripture was fulfilled, which said, and Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You know, that word justified means to make righteous, to declare not guilty. And you may say, well, this sounds familiar, but isn't this a contradiction of what Paul said? Remember in Romans 4, Paul says, Abraham was justified apart from his works. 
And yet James says, Abraham was justified, made right with God by his works. And both men use Abraham. Which is it? Are we made right with God by faith or by works? And yet when you look at this, it's very clear in Romans 4, when Paul says Abraham was made right with God by his faith, he was referring to what happened early in his pilgrimage, Genesis 15, 6, when Abraham believed God, he believed the promises of God and God counted it as righteousness. On that day, that instant that Abraham believed immediately in the throne room of heaven, God took Abraham's faith and exchanged it for righteousness. He was made righteous by faith in that Genesis 15, 6 experience. But 40 years later, in Genesis 22, when he willingly offered Isaac as a sacrifice, Abraham was shown to be righteous. He was declared righteous by his works. You know, Martin Luther had a, a great word about the relationship between faith and works. He said, faith alone saves a person, but saving faith is never alone. Where there is genuine faith, there will be genuine obedience works as well. We are saved by God's grace alone. But whenever we're saved, there's going to be genuine fruit, including obedience, that shows us to be righteous to others. Abraham, from this point on, was called the friend of God. What does this passage mean to us about our greatest test? I want to give you three quick principles to write down and remember these forever about God's test in our life. Some of you right now are going through a tremendous test. Number one, God's test may contradict reason. Sometimes God asks us to do something that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever, but it's only because we have a limited perspective. We can't see the future, but thank God we serve a God who does. He knows the future because he's planned the future. William Barclay, the commentator, said, for everyone at some time, there comes something for which there seems to be no reason and which defies explanation. It is then that a person is faced with life's hardest battle to accept what he can't understand. At such a time, there is only one thing to do, obey and do so without resentment, saying, God, you are love, and I will build my faith on that. God's tests sometimes contradict reason. Secondly, God's tests affect the tender part of our lives. God's tests affect the tender parts of our lives. You know, sometimes we recommit our life to God and we say, God, from this point on, whatever you want to do in my life, anything you want to do in my life, I submit to you right now. You can do anything you want. You can have control over anything in my life. But in our minds, we have that secret compartment that's locked off and blocked away from God that God is not welcome to get involved with. One thing we're holding on to, it may be a relationship, it may be a possession, it may be a dream, but we say, God, you can have anything except this one thing. If you don't remember one thing else I say today, remember this, God's tests 
Never deal with those things that are trivial to us. God's test always deal with those things that are treasure to us. It was that way for Abraham. It will be that way for you as well. And finally, and this is encouraging, I hope, to you, God's tests are designed for our strengthening. God puts us sometimes in the furnace of testing, not to destroy us, but to strengthen us. You know, in biblical times, whenever a jeweler was going to make a piece of gold jewelry, he would take a piece of gold and, first of all, heat it up until it reached a molten state, a liquid state. And when it was at that point, the impurities, any impurities in the gold would rise to the surface and he would skim off those impurities. And the way he knew that those impurities were gone is when he could look into that molten gold and see the reflection of his own face. God does the same thing for us. He sends the fire into our life to burn away the impurities. That's exactly what Peter was talking about in 1 Peter verses 6 and 7 of chapter 1. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God is allowing you to go through this test so that the impurities of life can be removed and he can look in our face and see the image of his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what God is doing. And here's the encouraging word. When you're going through that furnace and the fire is burning hot, Warren Wiersbe says, remember, God has his eye on the clock and his hand on the thermostat. He knows exactly how long and how hot. And there'll be a time when that furnace will be turned off. You'll emerge from that furnace of testing and your faith will be even stronger and purer than it's ever been. That's what God is doing in your life right now. You might not realize this, but today's message included far more teaching material than we had time to share on our program. But in a moment, David will explain how you can receive my entire teaching series on Abraham on both audio CD and video DVD. This is the unedited, unabridged version, so you'll get to hear the original version of these messages from start to finish. But that's not all, because I wrote a book in conjunction with this brand new teaching series. It's also called Walking by Faith. By reading my book, you will find powerful ways to walk alongside God as never before. Your relationship, your friendship with God is the most important relationship in life. Doesn't it seem fitting that you would learn how to connect with Him in meaningful ways? My book, Walking by Faith, will equip you with practical tools to do so. And I'm pleased to send you a copy today when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. Again, the book is called Walking by Faith. One last thing. It's not unusual for nonprofit ministries to experience a lull in giving during the summer months. Sometimes vacations and other distractions keep people from giving to their favorite ministry. All to say, your gift today is important. 
And as Pathway to Victory is beamed across our nation and around our world, God will use your gift to pierce the darkness with the light of His Word. Thanks so much. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffers. You're invited to request a copy of the brand new book, Walking by Faith, when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. Give us a call, 866-999-2965, or visit our website, ptv.org. And when your gift is $75 or more, you'll receive not only the book, but also the complete collection of audio and video discs for the Walking by Faith teaching series. Plus, we'll send you a study guide to use for group or individual study. Now, this is the last week we'll mention these resources, so get in touch right away. One more time, call 866-999-2965 or find us online at ptv.org. If you'd like to write, here's that address, P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Of all the major decisions we have to make, choosing who to marry is one of the biggest. So what are the factors that should play into a decision of this magnitude? Hear a message called Finding the Perfect Mate, Thursday on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas. Imagine waking up to the sight of Alaska's majestic coastline or spotting wildlife from the deck of a luxurious cruise ship. Experience these unforgettable moments on the Pathway to Victory Cruise to Alaska with Dr. Robert Jeffress. Relax with us in Alaska and I guarantee you'll come home spiritually and physically refreshed. To book your spot on the 2024 Pathway to Victory Cruise to Alaska, go to ptv.org.